It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Presented by Sweet Sweat. Hey, welcome into the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans, Scott the Hub, producing the show. Got a great show, including question mark, your chance to win a $75 gift bag from uh, our presenting sponsor. That's the great folks over at Sweet Sweat, sweetsweat.com for more information for all your workout needs, whether it's your home workout, your supplements, you name it, sweetsweat.com is where you need to go. Sweet Sweat. Uh, Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. Doing yeah. well. Uh, eager eager to uh, see a little bit more once these teams uh, get onto the, the field and start doing some padded practices. We're still a little way away from that, but uh, teams are getting a lot of uh, work in, a lot of walkthroughs. Tom Brady. Coming out and saying, learning a new playbook is kind of a kind of a challenge, mm-hmm. but a challenge he likes. I think it's yeah. I mean, I think it's anytime you're you're doing something new. I mean, I went from the Skins to the Broncos in 1995, and conceptual conceptually speaking, you know, like everybody runs the same stuff, variations of the same stuff. Obviously, it's coached a little bit different. There's a little different nuance. Um, what you major in versus what you minor in, all those types of things. So, you know, it's it's funny. Like, the zone, we were a big counter team in Washington. Counter trap, you know, counter tray, power, all that kind of stuff. Um, but we ran a lot of zone, too. And our zone plays were, like, where tight zone was 40-50 gut. Wide zone was 60-70 outside. So, those were our two zone plays, right? When I got to Denver, our zone plays were 14-15 handoff or 18-19 handoff. The same exact play, right? Two different schemes, different coaching points, different whatever, two different languages, if you will. So when you get in, you know, you have to kind of transpose the schematic. So you got to go, okay, you know, this particular play is just like what we ran when I was in New England for the last 20 years, but we called it something different. And so, really, you have to come to grips with those type of things. Um, but the bottom line is a lot of that stuff is the same. But you got to get into your playbook. You got to learn that language. You got to be able to, to spit that out. You know, for 20 years, he spit out the same things all the time. There was no real learning that was involved. And so, I think that part is what excites you. When you go from one team to another team, there's a, you know, you're, you're rejuvenated to a degree. There's everything is new. There's new players. There's new people. There's new personalities. There's, there's new things to learn. It it, it becomes fun. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, invigorating, if you will. Yeah, so but wouldn't I, you provide, wouldn't you rather though, especially as a quarterback, wouldn't you prefer continuity and familiarity over, Hey, this is new. It's exciting. It's fun. Well, I mean, the other stuff that you've been doing for twenty years might be, oh, it's the same old, same old. But at least right. it's the same old, same old. Yeah, it's the That's same old, same old. And you have one guy that you can count on, Julian Edelman. Now, all of a sudden, you come into a situation where you've got arguably the best tight end group in all of football. You've got Gronk, who came with you from New England after a year off. You've got OJ Howard. You've got Cameron Braid. I mean, I'll tell you, in a two tight situation, three tights, that's as good as there is in the NFL. Then you've got, oh, by the way, probably the best two, the best tandem of wide receivers, arguably the best. I mean, give me, give me two right now, off the top of your head, that are better than Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. 
Oof. Best best wide receiver tandems. I guess yeah. I mean Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper in Dallas. Uh, would you put those over? I wouldn't no, put those, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't either. I'm just over. I'm just kind of spitballing right, right. now. Uh, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, or Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks when they were in New Orleans together. Uh, not New Orleans. Uh, excuse me, the Rams. No, you're right. I think that might be the best. I mean, like I'm going I'm going through things right now, and I'm trying to think, you know, from just a pure wide receiver mm-hmm. tandem. Um, OBJ and Jarvis Landry. Yeah, I mean, talent wise. Well, well yes. how about the last couple okay. years? Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Sure, but I, I get what you're saying. Um, I, I get what you're saying. Not, I mean, Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. I mean, but the bottom line is, you could make a compelling argument. Absolutely, I know. All right? yes. But when you put when when you go, let's just call it, let's go five deep. You know, with those three wide receivers, any five you put any five out there on the field, it, there may not be a better five than those guys right there. If you're getting five guys out and you're doing it out of three tight ends, and you know when you get three tight ends and you're facing, you're not facing nickel coverage situations. You know, people are going to get into people are going to get into base. They're going to get extra linebackers in. They're going to do those things. So uh, the bottom line is that that part to me would be exhilarating if you're Tom Brady, like. If you're sitting there going, man, we've won multiple championships and we have done it and we've drafted a couple of receivers that haven't really panned out and I don't want to deal with a bunch of young guys that I'm teaching, you know, where to be, the depth I want them in certain routes and they're making mistakes and I'm a stickler for you. You were here. You covered the Broncos when Peyton Manning came in. You were at practice just like I was when Peyton Manning's dog cussing young receivers and a young receiver makes a mistake on the depth like and I'm not talking about I'm not talking about hey you know I want this thing at 12 yards and the guy rounds it off at 14 Peyton Manning's in there mfing and then that guy doesn't see another ball for the rest of practice like there's a there's a punishment that goes along with it and if Tom Brady's just going I want veteran guys who are great who know what the hell they're doing and I've got that in Tampa Bay with a coach that like is really respected as hard ass but players coach. Bruce Arians is a guy that he's gonna cuss everybody out. You know, there's nobody that can handle that any better than Brady because Brady's been coached that way his whole life. But there's still a real kind of connective aspect to Bruce that the guys and I've covered Bruce for long enough, both in his Arizona days and now in his Tampa days. Where the guys love playing, the coaches love coaching for him. The guys love playing. How do you do that, him. by the way? How do you how do you be a coach that is like BA that he'll cuss you out, but the players love him and he's known as a players' coach? How, how does he find that balance? Because what he says, he, what he says, he adheres to. You know, he's got this rule for his coaches that you're not going to miss any of your kids' stuff. We can get through a practice without you, and so he is like, if you miss your kids' recital, you're fired. And he adheres to it. So he's very demanding. He's also a guy that is like, hey, man, we shut off the lights at 10. Nobody stays in this office beyond 10 o'clock. You're going home and sleeping in your own bed. And, like, they just have a lot of respect for the way he runs the organization. And he's, I mean, B.A. can be a hard ass. I mean, that's, 
you know, and he he'll get after you. But he's honest, and he's honest. And isn't that and he, all players really mm, care about? Absolutely. You just want to be. You just want to be dealt with honestly. Like I've always said, if I suck, I can handle. I can handle. Just just tell me, like you suck, and you won't play until X, Y, and Z become better. Whatever it is, but don't blow smoke. Right. Right. Be who you are. I think B.A. does a great job of being who he is. You know, it was funny. When he went to Arizona, he convinced Larry Fitzgerald to move from the X receiver to the slot, to the F. And Larry was adamant against it. He didn't want to do it. And he hadn't seen, like, we're as players, we're always the last to see our decline. And he hadn't seen the decline. And so he is like hacked off about it. And Bruce just says, listen, you need to trust me. He goes, if you trust me and do what I ask you to do, is I guarantee you, I'm going to feed you. You're going to catch over a hundred balls this year, but I need you to be kind of quote unquote, my Heinz ward. I need you to run the motions. I need you to cut off the backside in the running game. I need you to sometimes be a lead blocker. I need you to do a lot of things but they're going to set up off a of play action. He goes, I promise you, you'll catch 100-plus balls. And so Larry told me, he's like, listen, I had to commit to doing it. I wasn't happy about it initially. And everything B.A. said came to fruition. You know, I got to mix it up. I started blocking people. I kind of liked it. You know, he got me. I think he had like 114 catches that year, right. you know, went to the Pro Bowl. So it was just like it was one of those things where you just – the guy tells you this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it, this is why we're going to do it, and this is how it's going to benefit you, but you got to commit to me. I, I kind of get the sense that's how Pete Carroll does things. And it's led – it explains a lot of the popularity that Carroll has had, whether it was at USC uh-huh. or it was Seattle – you know, this is a guy who really seems like he he competes. Boy, does he compete! But he does so in a way in which all the players understand. Hey, he's just here to compete. He makes it a competition every day. Right. It's about you know go out and compete. Show you're the best, and the best get rewarded. And, and as an athlete, we can't ask for anything better. Maybe it explains why he and Russell Wilson have been such a good team because. Because we learned something about Russell Wilson this week, or got reminded about Russell Wilson again this week with his uh, Mister Unlimited video. Yeah, that you know he's he's a different kind of cat. Probably oh. not all coaches, right? Would 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 click with Russ like Carol does. Yeah, but Russ, I mean, Russ is like I think I can say this. I think Russ and I, not that we're we're friendly. We you know been around each other enough to. I think he's okay with me saying Russ is a nerd. Like, right. He's just kind of a nerd, you know? I mean, he's like, he's a really thoughtful, introspective nerd. Right. He's this, he's got this old soul about him. And he's uber competitive. There's no question about that and all those things. But Russ, like, Russ wants to win. And the and the crazy thing about about Russ in a day and age where you see, you know, guys that they want to win, but they want numbers with the win, right? They want to have numbers. I get the sense when I've talked to him in the past, 
and I've watched the way he's played. It's not lip service when he when he says, "I don't care if we we run it sixty times in a row. If it leads to a win, that's what I care about." And I've talked to not only Russ about it. I've talked to Carol about it. I've talked to Brian Schottenheimer about it. And they're like, he is unique in that he really doesn't. I called a game a couple years ago where I think in the I think in the first half, Mike, he threw it six times in the in the whole first half. And he threw two touchdowns. I mean, they were two long touchdowns, you know, two like busted coverage touchdowns. But I think he, he was like he was like four of six for two hundred yards and two touchdowns. Like he just doesn't care. It doesn't care about that. He just wants to win. At the end of the day, can I help my team win a football game? And I think that's what's so intriguing about the guy. That's why um, I just think that he resonates with with people. Now, I think that sometimes he's rubbed people the wrong way because they look at him and go, you can't be like, like that's an act. I just don't think it's an act. I think it's, like I said, he's an old soul that just is kind of, he doesn't care about, um, he doesn't care about a lot of things that young players seem to care about. Well, I think that sums up what he did this week with his video. Yeah, which I loved. The Mr. Unlimited video from 2018 came out. Right. And people were just like, what the hell is this? This is cringeworthy. Yeah, cringeworthy. And to his credit, I think he, he... could laugh at himself and understand it, so he went out and made like another video on top of it. Yeah, it was like a movie trailer in which he's poking fun at it. Right, and you know, again, maybe it was a little nerdy, but it shows a an ability to be self deprecating. Right, where it doesn't need to be all about me. I'm not taking myself that seriously, which maybe explains his success as a football player, in which you can have a, a half in which you throw the ball six times and you're completely fine with it. Right. Whatever helps the team win. It doesn't have to be about me. I'm cool about that. Yeah. And I, me personally, I don't know how you feel, but I got mad respect for for him and his game and the way he goes about his business. In fact, it's one of those, if I had to win one game and I had my choice of all the quarterbacks in the NFL, who I'd want, He's on my short list. I mean, it's maybe it's it's him, it's Mahomes, it's I guess Brady still, you know, right? But that'd be about it. Yeah, Wilson w- Wilson's up there for me. He would definitely be. He'd definitely be up there for me as well. He's still a threat. Like, can he run it? Yeah, he doesn't often, but he's still a threat. He still threatens defenses. He threatens the edge of defenses. They still worry about him. He can pick you apart. Um, he can pick you apart in the underneath game, the intermediate game. He's probably, if not the best, top three deep ball throwers yep. in all of football. Yep. Um, a guy is just a he's a unique individual, and and I was like I was like great. I mean that video was ridiculous, but double down <laughs> on the video. I was like yeah. good for you. Double down yeah. on the nerdery, right? Yeah. I mean. Go ahead, good Get, for just, him. Just put her put her down there. Good for him. Talk about coaches that communicate well. Um, Mike Tomlin. He's got that reputation, and he's honest. And right. I, I, I found with interest his comments. They were a little bit uh, alarming, I guess, or pessimistic, in which he expressed a lot of doubts about whether or not there'll be a season this year. Right. You know, interestingly enough, um, obviously, I feel like football is going to power through. Yep. 
Here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to power through this thing, guys. And this is the new world we live in right now. And we're not going to wait around for, you know, a vaccine. Um, we're going to try to do what's right um, from the standpoint of, you know, following all the protocols and, and all that stuff. But um, but here's where we are, right? And I think that that's the way the NFL is going to approach this. But you think, like, I had a really long conversation two days ago with Sean Payton. Okay? And... By the way, it makes me hot when you name drop like that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, but Sean and I are friends. No, and, I and Sean and I stay in contact. Um, and so he was just walking me through the process. And he said, you know, inside the facility, we have built our own kind of, everybody has essentially built your own mini bubble, right? But it's unrealistic to think that you can walk away for six months and say, hey, we're going to put, we're going to create bubbles and. You know, nobody, I mean, you still have to travel. You got to travel to other stadiums. You got to travel to other, you know, states. So you think about this, Mike. So he was talking about inside the facility, we're in this bubble. But every night, people are going to go home. And if you're talking about tier one and tier two employees, you're talking about about 175 people per organization. They're going to go home at night. So each franchise has 175 individual stories. They leave the facility. Everybody come. Hey, you go home. You go home to your wife. You go home to your kids. What did they do today? Did they go to school? Were they in contact with teachers? Did your wife go to the grocery store? Right? Well, I mean, what did they go to the cleaner? What, what happened? So there's 175 separate stories. 32 teams that's 5,600 stories every single night. You times that by seven days a week. Now we're talking about 40,000 stories a week. And we times that by 17 games, right? And you're, and you're talking about 666,000 stories over the course of the regular season for one team. No, that's for the that's for, Is the, that league. for the league. That's for, that's the, for league. the league. You're right. That's for the league. You're right. I mean, are you going to have people get infected? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then it's how do we manage when we get an outbreak, when we get some people that are infected, how do we manage those people? I mean, when you think about it in those terms, Mike, this is a, I mean, the task of getting through the season is is going to, I mean, it's going to be monumentous. And you've got to understand that, and Sean understands this, and the coaches understand this, and the, and the players understand this, we're in the entertainment business. We, we get that. But it, it's going to be, it's going to be hard, and there's going to be some decisions, you know, like, for instance, let's say, Mike, that your favorite team, whatever your favorite team is out there, okay, say your favorite team has three starting offensive linemen in that room come down on a Thursday with coronavirus. 
and two backups. Now all of a sudden I've got two starters and some of my backups are down. And most of my backups can't play. And my quarterback is Tom Brady, Drew Brees, um, you know, uh, He's the Russell Wilson. Yeah. It's, it's Patrick Mahomes. Now what am I going to do? Because the league would tell you, well, do you have, like the league would say, well, do you have backup offensive linemen? Well, yeah, I have backup. Well, do they wear do they wear offensive line jerseys? Well, yeah, they wear offensive line jerseys. Okay, so you have to play them. Well, they're not ready to play. Well, that's your job to develop those. Well, we don't have time. We don't get to practice in pads. We didn't have any preseason games. Well, that that's the way it goes. So then you say, well, then I'm not going to play my quarterback. And like, I mean, at what point do you say, okay, we're going to forfeit this weekend? You know, and then do you say, well, if we've got some forfeits this weekend, then instead of you know, then it comes down to instead of, hey, this team has more wins than us in the division, but we have a better win percentage, who wins the division? Like, who goes to the playoffs? Like, there's a lot of things right now, Mike, that there are no there are no written rules for. And and they'll, they may not admit it, but privately they'll say, you're right. Mark, you're right. And we don't know how we're going to handle that. And we'll figure it out as we go. Right. It's kind of like Major League Baseball. You know, isn't it? Like baseball, they've had all of these positive tests, and what's interesting to me is they've shut those teams down for a while. Right. What about the idea that you're going to have expanded rosters? I thought the idea behind it was we'll have expanded rosters in case people test positive. But now it seems to be, well, we're just going to shut the team down because we don't want it to to spread around that team or to teams that they played. So it's almost like the expanded rosters don't really matter. But in the case of the NFL, because those teams, TV contracts are so lucrative mm-hmm. and so important. I I think the league will just say, next man up, you're playing. Yes. The Miami Marlins have an outbreak. They get shut down for a while. The Miami Dolphins have an outbreak. They're still playing. Exactly. Right? And and I think there are a lot of there's a, a lot of the onus goes to the individual teams. And then I think the Until other thing, the status of games is in question. Then the league, in then this the, case, the NFL, will step in and go, you're yeah, playing. Yeah, and then the league has to step in. And then as an individual team, what do you like? What do? You do? Like, am I – I travel around the league, and you know that I've had chances to consult, and I have some relationships around the league, and I talk to GMs and, and other people around the league. Like, it's, it's really interesting to me that, that this league is – about quarterbacks, and it really is on top of about quarterbacks, right? Mike, it's a quarterback-driven league. It's about protecting that guy. And the one place where all this practice and all these restrictions and all the concussion worries and all that has really affected is your ability to develop offensive linemen. Yep. Um, That's why, you know, that's why it's really interesting to me, and this is on topic, but it's off topic. It's not anything we planned, not that we ever planned these things, but – the Rock purchasing the XFL is really interesting to me. What's interesting to me is how does the NFL or how does the XFL with The Rock slide in to the NFL and get their, you know, papal blessing, so to speak? How can you use the XFL? As a money-making entity, but also 
in conjunction with in relation to the NFL? How can you become kind of quote-unquote partners? I'm not talking about necessarily financial partners. But wouldn't you be more apt as a Bronco fan or as a Cowboy fan or as a whatever fan if there was an element of developmental league for the NFL? So, for instance, let's say we've got five or six young players here that we need to develop, especially quarterbacks and offensive line, much like NFL Europe did. What if all five or six of our guys went to the Utah Stallions or whatever they are, right? And we got to follow our guys with a team. Maybe it's all the AFC West goes to a team and all the, you know, and also each AFC West team gets up to six guys that they get to designate. Yep. Brilliant idea. Right. If I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, am I more likely to follow an XFL team that's got six of my prospects on the team? Damn right. Right. Sure. Yeah, so that it be re, it it'll be really interesting, and you know, Dwayne is one of those guys who is. I, mean, I, I say this about Dwayne all the time. I'm going to brag on him a little bit. There was this plaque that that still hangs in the Denver Broncos training room, and every day I'd come into the training room. I was the first guy in the facility pretty much every day. Walk in there about five oh five, and. I'd pour myself coffee, and I'd read that plaque every day. And that plaque says, you can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those that can do nothing for him. And I've had a relationship now with Dwayne Johnson for years, um, doing ballers and doing some other things. And not that we're close, but I've just watched the way he treats people. And that's the way he is. He is one of those people that you just want to be around. You know, I'm on the set of Ballers, and there's this kid, there's this scene, and, and we're working out this you know, this prospect for the NFL draft, and we he runs on this beach, and he runs a 4-5-40 on this. I mean, it's ridiculous, but that's that's the scene, right? So we do it, and then he runs around and does backflips off of, you know, off of coconut trees or whatever, the palm trees, and it's kind of cool. And so we run, we film the scene and stuff, and then they – shut down for a minute and they reset, you know, for him running through these grove of coconut trees, palm trees to do these flips off all this stuff. Right. And so we shut down for 10, 15 minutes and Dwayne goes back to his trailer and I got no, I mean, I'm not, I got nowhere really to go. So I'm just kind of watching and they bring in this little stunt double. He's a former gymnast, right? And this dude is just freaking flipping off of everything. He's just running up these coconut trees and doing double backflip. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And I'm just wompy jawed watching the way he's like, first off, it hurts my knees to even think about it, right? And then I'm just watching him do these things. And they're amazing, you know. He's doing all this kind of stuff. And I don't even, I'm not even paying attention. And here comes Dwayne just bebopping back into the scene. You know, he's got to be back and we're going to start filming stuff. And he watches, like, for 30 seconds. Now, we've been watching this kid warm up for 15, 20 minutes. The rest of myself and, and you know, three or four other actors that are there. Um, not that I'm an actor, but I was on the set, you know, doing the acting thing. And Dwayne walks right up to him and goes, hey, man, what's your name? I'm Dwayne Johnson. The kid goes, yeah, I know. He's like, what's your story, man? What's your st-? like?" And he's totally engaged in this kid's life. 
well, I was a gymnast at such and such college. Oh man, you, yeah, I mean, you're unbelievable. You know, and he's like getting to know the kid, you know, and he's and he's in depth in this kid's life for he, he takes five minutes of his time to understand what the kid's all about, and then they film the scene and the kid walks away. That kid is probably still telling this story about the effect Dwayne Johnson had on his life, and I'm sitting there. I really, I literally walked away going, you're a dumbass. You had a chance to, not that I would have the same impact, but you just sat there, wompy-jawed, and watched the kid. And Dwayne invested into his life. And and so the reason I tell that is Dwayne's one of those guys that can walk into the NFL offices in Park Avenue and say, guys, we need to help each other. And they're like, they'd be like, yeah, Dwayne, what do we need to do, Right. Like he's got that kind of he's got that kind of gravitational pull, got that kind of personality and that persona. I think it, I think it could just be a really cool match made in heaven. Well, you know, you, we circle back. We were talking about Brady earlier, and and Brady had that reputation or has that reputation. He did that all the time in New England. You know, some some rookie or some guy would get signed during the week, and Brady would walk up to him, extend his hand, and go, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm Tom Brady. You know, and right. first reaction of the person would be like, uh, yeah, no shit. <laughs> you know, right? Right, you know? yeah, yeah. But, but it doesn't matter. It's still, you right. know, it still speaks to being able to um, connect. Connect. It's, it's and about, connect and just, I, I just, say it all the time. You're, we're all we're, in this together. Yeah, you know? we're all in the relationship business. If you're not in that business, you're going out of business. Like, you got to be in that relationship business. And and he's got an opportunity to to do some special things in in that regard with the XFL. I, I, I just think it's really cool. I look forward to it. All right, uh, let's get to question mark. Okay. Where the best question will get a prize package from Sweet Sweat. Yeah, $75 gift pack, a swag bag from my friends at Sweet Sweat. Okay, uh, let us get to some of these questions. And this one is from IU Fan in Texas. Okay. Which quarterback change will have the most Positive impact. Rivers in Indy, Brady in Tampa, Foles in Chicago, Bridgewater in Carolina, Taylor with the Chargers, or Burrow with the Bengals? Um, well, I, I think it would be hard to bet against Brady in Tampa Bay. That, to me, was a playoff team. I got to call them late in the season. Defensively, they are an absolute nightmare to run against. Um, Todd Bowles, their defense coordinator, his blitz scheme his ability to create pressure on a consistent basis uh, also can create nightmares for you. That that team goes to the playoffs if Javis Winston doesn't turn it over 39 times. He had 30 interceptions, and he fumbled it nine times, Mike. Like 39 turnovers. Do you think Tom Brady has turned it over 39 times? That's a playoff team. They, I, they were a playoff team last year. Um, they didn't go to the playoffs because their quarterback is, you know, I mean, he's never seen a team meeting. He didn't think he could throw it into. Tom Brady doesn't play that way. He didn't operate that way. So um, I, I think Brady has the bigger impact of all those guys you mentioned with Tampa Bay. Uh, here's one from Rob. Which second-year quarterback will make the biggest move forward? A Mahomes-Jackson-type leap. Second year quarterback. So I mean, who? Give me the second That's year. The, uh, okay, so you got. Um, oh God, I'm trying to think of the second year guys. You got you got Daniel Jones. You got Dwayne Haskins. You've got um, Drew Locke. 
Drew Locke. Right. Yeah. Guys like that. Are we leaving anybody out? I don't think so. Um, Second year, guys. Well, I mean, so you're going to have a new offense in Carolina. You're going to have a new offense in Denver. And you're going to have a new offense in New York. So then I would say to you, Mike, well, what's what's the the, the likelihood based upon division you're in of having success so if i was gonna if i was just kind of boil it down that way i'd probably pick daniel jones yeah yep because i think i think first off i think the cowboys are inconsistent um so i think that's you know that's an issue um i think oh kyler murray too let's add kyler oh kyler murray yeah oh yeah i'll go i go kyler murray yeah what do you I'll go Kyler Murray. Yeah, Murray, let, let's shift the question to something else here. More Kyler Murray. What do, what do you see in him? How high is his ceiling? Where is his ceiling at? Who would you compare him to, you know, when you look at the upside? Well, I think I think the, the crazy thing is, is one, he was exceptional toward the, you know, middle half of the season, second half of the season last year. Um you know, he's played with this, he's too short, kind of chip on his shoulder. He's accurate. I think one of the things that ended up happening for Kyler Murray is you you started to understand that I can't outrun defensive ends, so I'm going to have to be better, you know, getting the ball out of my hand. I can't extend the plays like I used to extend the plays in college. This is a different animal that plays in the NFL. I think Cliff Kingsbury also learned uh, you know, there's a lot that I have to learn about running the offense that I run in the NFL. The pressure I put on my defense, um, they were a different offensive football team when they got Kenyon Drake. They they traded for Kenyon Drake out of Miami, and they started becoming a far more balanced football team. Um, I think that helped Kyler Murray. He is, I I, I think, talent-wise, he's great. Accuracy-wise, he's great. Um I love his attitude. I mean, when when his attitude, I was I was talking to him early in the season last year. I think I called the first game against Detroit. They they ended up tying that and uh, and it was a tie game. Went through overtime, and I said, "Well, you know what I think." And you know what he said to me? He goes, "I don't really care what you think." He goes, "You can tell me, but I don't really care." And I was like. You can be all right, like it, and it wasn't arrogant or like right. not yours, or it was right. just like, I don't care, like I don't care what you, you what you think doesn't have any bearing on on my career, and I thought that was a like there was some salt to it that I really liked, and it, like I said, it was it was not disrespectful in any way or anything. It was just like, hey man, I am worried about what I can control, what I have to do, what my coaches are coaching me to do, right. I don't have time to think about what you're thinking right. about. Right. As, as long as he acknowledges that there are some people he does need to right. no, be no, concerned no, no. with what they think. No, absolutely. Coaches but, and yeah, yeah. You know, some the teammates. Bro- the TV broadcast isn't his concern, no, right? No, no, no. So I just thought, like, that this kid's got some – he's got some some clout to him. You know, he's got some, some – and, and part of that, I think, is because he's always had this chip on his shoulder about – being short and being not good enough and having to train, you know, all those things. So I think that's part of what makes him special. 
Uh, last one from Andrew, who asked, what do you suspect is the real reason John Elway has neglected the Broncos' offensive line? Is it hubris, afraid to admit he has made mistakes? It's a great, I mean, it, it's a great question. I think I think you've addressed it um, over the years with essential backups, and you think that you can fix it, like it can it can be good under your expert tutelage. So that would be hubris, right? I mean, that would be, hey, Donald Stevenson or Minalik Watson or Jared Valdir or you know th- this is what's going to fix us, and that just is not the way it works. Um, so there's part of that. I, I don't think there's any one thing you can put your finger on, Mike. Like the fact that that you drafted a guy to play left tackle that has not panned out, that has not worked, that has made the same consistent mistakes that he made from day one, and you can't allow yourself to move on because you drafted him 20th overall. And you haven't you haven't built, you know, you haven't built a viable option for yourself. So I mean, part of it could be hubris. Part of it could be, um, part of it could be, you know, uh, I don't, you know, pride. I don't want to. I don't want to quit on a guy. Part of it is you just haven't built enough depth there to be confident that you can move on. Like when you're, when you're, when the only nice thing you can say about a player is he's available. You know, and I've said this many times. You know, they're hey, they're doing construction outside this building, right? There's a porta potty out there. I can go take a shit in that porta potty. But you know what? If I have to take a dump, I'm going to walk across and, and do it in the porcelain can right here that has a nice bathroom. Like being available is not, you know, is not the end all be all, right? You got to be able to play. And you can't consistently, three years in a row, lead the league in holding calls and the franchise say, well, but at least he's there. He's got more tackles than a lot of guys on defense that you have. So that's something that that has to be fixed. Uh, I get to choose. Let's Mm -hmm. go with um, the question that led to the conversation about Kyler Murray. I like that. That was some great insight into Kyler Murray. So Rob Moran is the uh, winner of the Sweet Sweet Sweat uh, prize pack. All right, Rob. Well, we appreciate you. I will uh, direct message you, Rob, and I will will make sure that – that you get a sweet sweat pack. All right. How about that? Sounds good. All right. For everybody involved in the Sink Truth Podcast, for uh, the great folks over at Sweet Sweat, check them out at sweetsweat.com. Uh, also, uh, building the best referral network in all the land. That's uh, Mark's All Pros at marksallpros.com. You can check that out. As well, for Mike, I'm Mark. For Scott, we thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back with you uh, next week.